Remember these words. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Today in our Episcopal calendar is the first Sunday of ordinary time. The numbered days of the long season after the birth of the church on Pentecost. It corresponds with the extended green growing season of an agricultural society. In the life of the church, ordinary time is the time for growth and maturation. A time in which the mystery of Christ is called to penetrate ever more deeply into history until all things are finally caught up in Christ. Yet it doesn't happen all at once. And themes and events from the Christmas and Easter stories return for further consideration. A reminder that in the life of the church is a fabric spun of tales of birth and death, goodness and evil. Today's gospel reading, for example, has Good Friday undertones to it. Maybe it's the way that human evil is once again put in a life and death conflict with the goodness of Christ. Maybe it has to do with the never-ending stream of violence, much of it by means of gunfire, that seems to have possessed our nation. As a result, even though the church calendar says the season after Pentecost, this year the news remains full of Good Friday. And the promise of resurrection and new life seems to recede on the horizon just out of reach. For Christians, the Sunday of Easter Resurrection is given meaning by the events that occurred in the preceding three days, but which actually began began on the very day of Jesus' birth. For Jesus barely escaped a plot by the Roman puppet, King Herod, to take his life. His life was saved only as Mary and Joseph fled with their newborn as refugees into Egypt. Now in adulthood, Jesus once again had to face the enduring politics of occupation, coercion, and control of a Roman Empire, still willing to destroy life without a second thought. On the Friday preceding the first Easter morning, Jesus was crucified and suffered death on a Roman cross. Yet despite the events of Good Friday, the empty tomb on Easter declared the inauguration of the reign of God here on earth. The triumph of love that was willing to give everything for the sake of God's beloveds. It was in his weakness and his dying that Jesus resets the calibration of the power of love to triumph over everything that would try to destroy it. In the following two millennia, human history has been littered again and again 
With the very same looming inhumanities of economic, political, and military power that had been the hallmark of the Roman Empire leading to the crucifixion of Jesus. The very people whom Jesus had spent his life healing, teaching, and defending, the poor, the forsaken, hungry, and homeless, as today's demoniac, have been the perpetual victims of war and military might. Militarism and violence still infect the hearts of many who would sow chaos and weaponize resentment against those who dare seek to rule through compassion, respect, and decency. Just follow the news from Ukraine, not to mention the daily crisis of our planet and democracy, and you will be confronted by a seemingly perpetual Good Friday where the powers of darkness still strive to have the upper hand. So, how do we celebrate ordinary time when Good Friday this year seems never to end? How are we to tell and hear the good news of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the triumph of eternal life, when so many are surrounded by death and lack the means of survival? And how do Christians celebrate the inbreaking of the reign of love and life? How do we tell the resurrection story in a time when authoritarian power and annihilation still seems more precious to so many than life itself? Yearly, Good Friday offers an opportunity for Christians to turn away from the overabundance of war, death, and suffering that we allow in order to protect our prosperity. Good Friday could be, for us, a Yom Kippur, a day of repentance for our part and profiting from our security at the expense of others. Instead, our contemporary Good Friday has become a day to blithely choose to bear the pain of our own insecurity for a short time, knowing that Easter morning or Jesus' healing of the demoniac will make everything right again without any action or change in our personal and collective lives. The first Easter was different. It was not filled with Easter bunny hope and perennial flowers. Rather, Jesus was dead. His followers had seen it happen. And on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them went to the tomb. We are told with burial spices to prepare Jesus for the grave. And what happened next? according to the writer of the Gospel of Luke, could be told but not explained. 
the women, not the men, had a vision of the two figures dressed in white who reminded them what Jesus had said before his death and who asked them why they were looking for the living among the dead. We can well imagine the conversations and the expressions on the faces of followers of Jesus during the next couple of days. But if the disciples of Jesus thought Good Friday had turned their world upside down, bringing chaos to the orderliness their lives so long for, the unexpected events of Easter morning brought a new disordering of their expectations and understanding. Jesus appeared to the women, those always standing nearest to the tombs of death, revealing to them again the essential wildness of the living, who in our freedom can reverse the rules of authoritarian power and sow the chaos of life to bloom like a field of wildflowers, unpredictable in their placement and colors. Easter announces with finality the astounding, radical moment when God makes the ultimate choice of life over death, love over rage, compassion over annihilation. In being resurrected from the dead, in life's triumph over all the powers that fought against it, in the words of the Gothic Southern writer Flannery O'Connor, Jesus threw everything off balance. Easter proclaims that no longer is one injustice to be righted with another injustice. No longer is an eye to be demanded to pay for another lost eye. And no longer can the horrors of one war be used to justify the horrors of another war. Yet, we still live in a world governed by retributive justice. We still try to justify violence with violence. And the fragility of life seems a small accomplishment in our response to the awfulness of looming death. This year, our Easter and Pentecost seasons have been overshadowed by the horrors of a seemingly unending Good Friday. A Good Friday where Ukrainian hospitals are marked with the word children. In order to be obliterated by target bombing, intended to leave no life in its wake. And no less a hanging rope altar of authoritarian adoration in our nation's capital to sacrifice our former vice president. Humanity apparently is not yet prepared to fully embrace the good news of the unending life of Easter. 
This is why when seeing the demoniac released from his possession by evil spirits, those who saw it were afraid. For if life really has the power to overcome death itself, then resurrection has no foe that can stop it. Death is no longer to be feared, for life will beat back death, whatever its fearsome attacks on the living in Ukraine, school classrooms, or our great halls of justice. These ordinary times bless us with the knowledge that God's love and justice and mercy already have begun to prevail. So Jesus says to the healed demoniac, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Go forth, be God's mouth and hands and feet to take part in all the healing work still needing to be done, even though we may be afraid. Declare how much God has done for you. And in so doing, one loving deed at a time, for we are witnesses to the inbreaking of the reign of God which is arising in the messy reality of the present, one grace-filled day at a time. Return to your home. Declare how much God has done for each of you. Amen.